What is happening, ladies and gentlemen? Gerald Valley here, and thank you very much for tuning in to this edition of The Drop-In. You know, every show... I, I, I love being in this chair. I love bringing you guys some of the most amazing guests from around the world, really. And this week is no different. Uh, it, it, we, we cover a wide gamut. A wide gamut. I say it all the time. If one show in the library doesn't resonate with you, go to the next one. And if that one doesn't resonate with you, go to the next one. And if that one doesn't, go to the next one. Because there is a show in the drop-in library at nrmstreamcast.com that will get you fired up to get up off your couch and, and be the best version of yourself you possibly can. And that's the goal. That is the goal, to bring you the most inspirational guests I possibly can and, and, and to give you their story, how they came up, how they got to where they got to. And today, you know, last week I watched a movie called Ford vs. Ferrari, and I was talking with my wife, and she's like, hey, I, 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 I know a guy that's been in this movie. And I reached out to him, and uh, Mr. Jeff Milburn decided uh, that he would come on the show, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible to me because people like him just blow my doors off with, with what they do with life. And every time I see cars racing, I've, I went to a track a couple years ago in Berlin, Michigan. I've been to the MIS here in Michigan. I want to drive cars. I want to drive cars and I have to reel myself in because I do enough, you know, skating and playing drums and, and doing this show. I, I, I have enough on my plate. I don't need to be driving cars. And so I'm super excited to have Jeff on the show today. And, you know, again, this show is here to inspire you. And and especially right now with COVID and everything going on, you get to come visit with us for a two 25-minute segments, part one and part two, and just get out of that doldrum, whatever the daily life is. If you're locked up, if you're dealing with uh, other things to do with this pandemic, uh, this gives you a little bit of an escape. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Get a hold of your friends. Tell them to tune in. This show is going to knock your socks off. Logging in from Austin, Texas, I believe, uh, I want to introduce you, the drop-in audience, to Mr. Jeff Milburn. Jeff, thank you so much for taking time to come on the air with us today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Where are you at? You in Austin? I am in Austin, Texas. Beautiful Austin, Texas. How is, uh, you know, here in Michigan, we have some unseasonably warm weather right now, but it's going to drop into the 40s this weekend. How's the uh, weather out there? It's uh, seasonably warm like always. It's yeah. pretty much always warm around here. It gets a little cold in the winter, but I I don't live in Austin. I live uh, three or so hours north in Dallas, but I'm down here working on a Toyota commercial. Right on, right on, and we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Well, here on the drop-in, you know, I like to start at the beginning and uh, give the our viewers a little bit of background info, so let's start there. Um, where'd you grow up, ma'am? I grew up in Odessa, Texas. That's where the oil comes from, if anybody doesn't know where that place is. It's out in West Texas, nice and flat out there and deserty. Deserty. How, uh, um, you know, the family dynamic, brothers, sisters, all that kind of stuff? Um, I, uh, my, I had a kind of a, I don't know, uh, a strange family dynamic as it were. My dad and my mom were both from Washington, DC and, uh, they got married at pretty young age and they ended up getting a divorce. And, uh, I don't remember exactly what year that would have been, but my mom, uh, took off and went West and we ended up in Odessa. So I had a stepdad that I grew up with and I had a stepbrother and a stepsister and Stepbrother was in high school, a little bit older than me, and the stepsister was already out of the house. So it wasn't a very tight-knit sort of situation. It was 
sort of, um, you know, step, step parenty, if you want to call it that. Yeah, that can get a little fragmented for sure, um, especially, you know, I mean, coming out of D.C. to Texas, that's quite a quite a well, shift. Yeah, well, I was I was I mean, I was I don't even think I was five years old, so I didn't I didn't know any difference. You know, I um, my dad and my mom had both were born in D.C., so was I and they grew up there. And um, my dad pretty much lived there his whole life till he gra- till he almost said graduated till he. Uh, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't grow up in DC. I didn't go to school in DC or anything like that. I, I grew up out in the desert in Odessa. My mom had met a gentleman who worked out in the oil field like everybody else and uh, that's that's where we ended up living and growing up and you know, riding motorcycles and stuff like that. It, it I it's funny when I lived there I kinda you think I gotta get out of here, I'm in the middle of the desert and there's nothing and I wanna get to California and go race cars and motorcycles for a living or something, but now that I'm older and when I drive through there, I think, man, this place is pretty cool. It's, it, it isn't the type of place that you would be sought after, but if you grew up there, you kind of, you kind of have appreciation for it. So, right on, yeah. right that's, on. That's it. Well, in 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 school, you know, for me, uh, I was an ice hockey goaltender, and and we were always called the crazy ones. And then I got into punk rock and skateboarding, so a little bit of an outcast because in the mid '80s there wasn't a whole lot of skateboarders and punk rockers, and so you know I had you know my four friends and and we did our thing. How was uh you know elementary school, high school for you? Well, um, you know I I think it was pretty norm for me, and I graduated high school in 1983, so that dates me there. But um, when I was in high school, I don't know, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, I started meeting some people because there was a big boom out in uh, West Texas with, like I say, the, with the oil field, and people were moving there from all over the country. And I met, um, I met some kids. I met, met a bunch of kids that were from Los Angeles area, and they were into cool music, and they're the ones that turned me on to sort of what I still listen to today, um, and kind of shaped me a little bit because they, I didn't know there was this world of the stray cats and the clash and the cramps and all that stuff. And they're like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta check this stuff out. And I'd already really liked Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley. So it was pretty crazy that I got exposed to it out there. And there wasn't a lot of us that were into that, but there was a bunch of girls that were into the kind of, I don't know if you want to call it new wave and goth kind of scene and all that stuff. So it's, it started happening, but very slow while I was in high school, that sort of scene, like, like you say, you were in, I didn't, I didn't skateboard. I, I had a motorcycle and I pretty much focused everything on that, but it is, you know, it was, uh, kind of a, it's not a small town, but it was, you know, it, it didn't take long for it to catch on because people moved there from all over the place. You know, there were a lot of people moved there from Michigan actually, you know, cause I guess the, the automobile factories were closing down a little bit and there was lots of work in the oil field. So that I met a lot of people from your part of the world out there. Well, that's cool. You bring up two great bands, The Clash and The Cramps. I mean, they, they're both, uh, they paved the way for whole genres themselves. So that's very, uh, a unique musical choice for sure. And it doesn't shock me at all that, that you were listening to them at that time. Well, I still listen to them now, actually. But yeah, I, I mean, literally the way I dress, I still, I'm, I might be a little bit older and not as hip as I was, but I mean, I still have the same damn haircut I had in 1980, 81, and I still wear the same pretty much clothes, just not as flashy. You know, it's sort of almost makes you, I don't know how you explain it, but sort of molds you as a kid. You're like, man, that, 
that's the that's the world I wanted to live in. It really was. I don't know how to really explain it other than that. I just wanted to live in that world. I, I didn't play football in the high school I went to was a big football high school and I worked at after school at a body shop, so I just really dug the hot rod culture, if you wanna call it that. I don't know. It wasn't anything like it is now and and the stray cats and the you know, just look at the clash. They they didn't have to play music. They were so cool, you know what I mean? Like they, just just look at them and and then when you add their music talent to it, it's just awesome. And the cramps, of course, are yeah, on my top three list of the greatest bands ever. If you care. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to I'd have to agree with that because uh, you know uh, they just they broke the mold. I mean they were they were so unique, but yet their musical style was uh, legendary and iconic, and it had the roots. But but yeah. their subject matter with their lyrical content was so like almost ahead of its time with the clash and the cramps right right i mean i and you know that all that stuff is good the, i i really dug joan jett and the ramones and i didn't realize it but they were covering all these songs from the early 60s and that kind of led me to really look into those songs that they were covering so that that's what's cool about those bands you know so that it it wasn't a shut-off world out there in odessa there wasn't a million punk rockers and kids listening to cool music and everything but it was coming because people were moving there from all over the country in the, in the late seventies, early eighties. You know. Yeah, that's rad. That's super rad. And and you bring up motorcycles. You know, you said you know I didn't ride skateboards, but I rode motorcycles. Did you know at a very young age you just wanted to go fast? You wanted you wanted a part of that world. Um, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't know. I guess to the to the outside world, be go fast. I think I. I how about this? I. I knew from very young, as, as far back as I can remember thinking, I knew that I wanted to be involved in cars, motorcycles, trucks, just something like that. And I think a little bit it was uh, an escape to maybe be away from the family or something, you know, to have my own thing. Does that make sense? I, and mm-hmm. I, I, I really liked motorized vehicles, as it were. And then as I was messing with them and had a mini bike, as it were, and my um, my stepdad didn't want to deal with getting me to school because we lived a little bit farther away from my um, where I went to ninth grade school and so he got me this motorcycle it was a enduro 100 and he's like this is just how you're gonna get to school and I was like 13 and, and <laughs> it didn't really matter because I was riding these back dirt roads and stuff and every once in a while you get pulled over by a police officer and he'd be like does your dad know you're riding this yeah yeah okay well I'll let you go you know it's a little lax out there but I knew that I knew that motorcycles and cars were I I don't want to use the word my ticket out of out of a West Texas oil field town, but I thought that it was it was my way of being a having my own thing, my own I don't know. I don't I didn't really think of it as an identity. It was just something that I it was mine. You know, it it, it wasn't at all what my my mom had planned for me and you know, I don't I don't really know what my dad and my stepdad thought. You know, <laughs> I was just a kid, but it was my it was my thing. I don't know. I don't know how to explain. I'm sorry I'm not being a, a better explanation of it, but that's it. No, it makes total sense. Total sense. And then you mentioned, uh, you know, working in a body shop uh, while you were going to high school. And uh, like that, did that come naturally? Did you have to work hard at that? Was it something you were passionate about at that time? Oh, I, you know, I met some I'm, I met some people that at at ran this body shop in Odessa. It's called Dugan's Body Shop. And 
those two big body shops in Odessa and it was one of them. And I just asked him, Hey, can I come sweep the floor? Really? Uh, anything. I, I, I didn't even know what I was going to be doing for a living. So, um, I went there and once I was there it, again, it was just, it was my thing. I was away from uh, my family and I was just, I got to, I, I talked the guys in the body in the, I'm sorry, in the paint shop area to kind of let me be their helper and teach me how to sand. And most, I started just what, started cleaning stuff but then i was washing cars and then i got to sand and then i got to um put some primer on stuff and i i liked it because i i liked learning things and and just paving my own way you know i just wanted my own i don't even i don't know how to explain it but i guess you know what i'm talking about you know i just wanted to head off on my own direction and it was great when i worked in the body shop it was uh i mean i couldn't have asked for anything more i remember i think i was getting ten dollars a day i think so at the end of the week, it was fifty dollars before taxes. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I was I was going to I was going to Sears to buy me new tools every week, every weekend. You know, so I don't know. This is my little world that I had, and I kind of liked it. You know, I yeah, really... I definitely dig it. And and you know, in that environment, I know when I was younger, and I I started actually I started in, a, in an industrial dry cleaner was my first real job. But I looked up to my bosses, tell some of the older guys. Was there there's some gentlemen in that shop that you like looked up to or, or thought they had cool style or something like that? Uh, the the guys at that place, there was um the guys in the paint shop. They kind of, you know, they kind of. I, I got picked on a lot because I was really young and and uh, I liked them and I tried to learn from them. But I, it's funny because the the gentleman that ran the place, I could tell from early age that he was. A little bit he was good running the body shop but i think uh morally away from work he didn't seem very legit to me so i i didn't i didn't want to be i didn't think to myself i want to be like that guy and the, the first time i really saw somebody or met somebody that i kind of if, if you want to use looked up to um really was from uh i think it was a newspaper article that was about the indianapolis 500 and there was a a picture of the crew chief of one of the cars and he had all his tools lined out in front of one of the garages and he was explaining what it took to be a crew chief and I thought oh, there's a guy that you know that's the guy that actually makes the car go fast I like that guy I don't even know who the hell he was I was really young when I saw that and um but at, at the body shop I did not I, I can't say I said one guy that's who I want to be I I did learn as much as I could from the painter guys and um and I was like I say a lot younger than them and didn't really fit in with them very well and then I, I went to work at another body shop and um, a little bit later on, I ended up going to D.C. I'm skipping ahead of myself, but I, I was a, an apprentice as a mechanic in a car dealership. And that that gentleman I worked for did teach me a lot. He taught me a lot about diagnosing things, how how to really take the steps to learn how to make something run again, I guess you'd say, or really figure out why it isn't running. And that, that, his name was Mark Piles. He's the first guy that took me in an automotive swap meet too, which I seem to be addicted to now. But um, I love swap meets if you know what they are. I mean, you know, I, I can't can't get enough whenever I'm off whenever I'm off working somewhere in a country. I go to them, and it's all Mark Piles' fault for taking me to swap meet when I was 19 years old. And it was such a cool <laughs> world. There all these old timer guys, you know, out there just selling old parts and junk. And I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, a bunch of car parts laying out on harps and people are selling them so that guy mark piles was the first guy kind of if you want to use the word looked up to he definitely taught me a lot and i, I worked for, 
under him as an apprentice for a year or so. And then I went off on my own as a full-fledged mechanic. So, yeah, there's there's one guy. And I, I think as I, as I got older and stuff, I would meet people that were good at something that had to do with an automobile. Um, and I, I would kind of try to learn as much as I could from them, the people that I thought were good and good people. And I don't know how to explain it, but it was like a lot of stepping stones on the way to where I'm, you know, where I was completely out on my own. If right. No, I it. dig it. I dig it. And, and what you're talking about with Mark Piles is rad because there's a gentleman in my life named John Broge, and he sort of took me under his wing at a young age, and I slept under his ramp, and he taught me, like, he is a few years older than me and taught me a little bit about skateboard lifestyle, but he was a very good person. And every time I see him now, I'm like, damn you, John. See what you did to my life? You, you started this passion, and, and I'm now I'm 30 years in, and I, it, it's my life, you know? Damn you, you know? It yeah. sounds like Mark was a little bit like that for you. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I was already kind of on my way to, to what I was doing, but once I met somebody that really kind of he, – he put the professional in my life, I think, if that's, if that's a way to put it. And, and as I stepped through things and ended up working on a professional race car team and stuff, I – met more people that were much more professional and I, you know, kind of, I didn't want to emulate them, but I just took a lot of note in the way they conducted themselves and that sort of thing. I, I really did notice the farther up the, this, I don't know if the word is success really, but the ladder and I ended up in very high end professional racing as a mechanic. And you realize even in that area, the, the, the better crew chiefs and the better teams that seemed to win more than the other teams, everybody was professional. They were all at a professional level, but it seemed like as they got, as they got better and better. And I actually worked for a couple of really big, good teams. You, you noticed how serious things were, how, um, uh, people had a lot of integrity because in racing, you can't, you can't lie to people, you know, and you can't mislead people and stuff like that. And, so was, there was a lot going on like that, and uh, I, I would meet these people and think, man, I, that's, they're, they're living life correctly and doing what they want to do. That, it, that makes any sense. Definitely, definitely. When, you're def- when you become passionate about something and you meet others, but they also have some morals and values, there's a balance there. There's a balance of, of being as reckless as you need to be but yet keeping it together when you need to keep it together, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, you, you have to, there's, there's a whole balance of everything, you, especially in the racing and, you know, now I'm a, a stunt driver. You, what, what we're doing is dangerous, but it's a misconception that we're the type of guys that are out, like, doing wheelies down the highway or something. We, not, everybody I know that's a stunt driver has raced something professionally, and none of us that I know of, I mean, I'm sure there's an exception to the rule, are, are kind of show-offs or anything like that out in the real world. You know, I, I would say I'd, I don't want to take my insecurities out and put them on a, you know, on a city street or anything like that. The people out there, they're just trying to get back and forth to work or go home to their families. They don't, they don't need some, somebody, you know, driving really fast in their car, or riding their motor. So I'm, I'm not saying that I don't every once in a while open it up or something, but I definitely... You have to be cautious of the rest of the world. You know, we're not the only people out there. So the most of the guys that I know that I actually almost all of them, like I say, are professional racers or stunt drivers um, are, are kind of 
reserve out in the real world. And then once you get on the racetrack or we're doing stunts, you know, we rehearse things over and over again. And it might look like there's all this chaos going on, but we're trying to make everything be perfect where nobody gets hurt, you know, that sort of thing. Definitely so. makes sense. Definitely makes sense, you know, and and uh, especially with what you do as a stunt driver, that's your job to, to to make it look as reckless as possible, but be as safe as you possibly can at the same time. Um, yeah, you want to at the end of the night, you know, you know, you want everybody to be able to go have a pizza, and you know, you you're doing it, and you like doing it, but you definitely want to be able to be safe and uh, and and I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. it it's kind of a strange thing that i think the rest of the world doesn't doesn't understand because you talk to people and i try not to tell people oh, i'm a stunt driver because it usually takes about three questions before i actually say that is what i do for a living but oh man i'm a stunt driver i do all this and i do that and you're thinking well you would never make you'd never get to work for the stunt coordinators i work for they'd think you were reckless or crazy you know when people people telling me how they're a stunt driver and i'm thinking oh lord you know they're out there like I say, doing wheelies down the highway on their motorcycle, it's not really a very safe way to live life. And stunt coordinators don't want people like that on their set. You know? Well, and then your next question is, do you even have a license anymore if that's the way you drive in the real world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but we're we you know we're gonna do two 25 minute segments here we're coming down to the last couple minutes um when did you actually get behind the wheel when did you uh, make the jump from from being the mechanic to actually being the competitive driver uh when i was in high school i i a friend of mine and i put together an off-road race car and i i was i, I thought that i had you know, I had these great aspirations of being a big time professional driver. So I, I raced that car when I was in high school and right when I got out and I didn't do very well. Cause I had one, I had no money and hardly any experience. I, I'd been mostly, um, on a motocross bike and stuff. And I went to the car and tried to get something going on there. And I, I didn't, I didn't have enough money to keep racing very long and it kind of went away and I, I had to get back to work. And, uh, so that's, really i had a motorcycle after that that i raced a little bit and then i raced motocross and i really had to concentrate on making money because nobody was paying my way at all so i worked at the dealership and i ended up getting a job on a race team and there's a lot of guys like me up there that are that don't come from wealthy families and if you want to be involved in racing you're just going to have to get a job in racing somehow some way and and so i i ended up having a job on a really big race team and I did the clutch on a top fuel car. And so I, it, it wasn't like one particular time that I went from mechanic to driver, to driver to mechanic. It's I, I was back and forth in both directions the whole time, if that makes any sense at all. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, growing up here where I grew up about 15 minutes south of Detroit and we had the Detroit dragway and I could smell the rubber every, every weekend. We had, uh, I mean, I saw the Dukes of Hazard stunt driver there. I, I, my mom actually, my mom used to run at the Detroit Dragway, and she said exactly what you said. She's like, I couldn't afford to keep my car in it. You know, she's like, yeah. I love, I love driving, but I, I just couldn't afford to, you know, do the rear end work that needed to be done and, and whatnot. But we're down to the end of our first segment. Jeff, thank you so much. And we're going to come right back in a minute with part two. Thank you guys for tuning in. Jeff Milbert. I mean, we got the, where, where it started. 
and and coming up in Odessa, not going to the oil fields, becoming a mechanic, and the evolution. And in our in part two, we're going to talk about the real nuts and bolts. I mean, uh, having a NASCAR truck team and being in Ford versus Ferrari. So thank you guys very much. Make sure to tune in to part two with Mr. Jeff Milburn, and I'll be right back with you. I am Gerald Valley. This is The Drop-In. <laughs>